0: Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 11, and uh, we'll continue in our our study through the book of Daniel. I want to jump right into it. Last week, as you're making your way there, we uh, we began to look at um, the vision that God gave to Daniel um, regarding the Jewish people. And uh, the key to that vision is found in Daniel chapter 10, verse 14, where the angel told Daniel this, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people, meaning the, the Jewish people, what's going to happen to your people uh, in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet <clears throat> to come. And and so God he, here is giving Daniel um a a timeline for the nation of Israel. And what happens is if you were with us when we were in Daniel chapter 9, we saw there that 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 God expands this timeline. He basically determined that there would be 70 weeks of years marked out for Israel for them to receive their Messiah uh and to be made right with God. Um, and God said there that uh, 69 of these weeks would go like this. Put it on the screen for you. Seven, there would be seven weeks of years, 49 years, until the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And then He told Daniel that 62 after that period of time, 62 weeks of years would transpire, which is 434 years, and that would transpire until Messiah would come. And so, altogether, the prophecy was that there would be 483 years until the coming of the Messiah. Now, when you consider that the Babylonian calendar was 360 days, as opposed to our 365 days, and then you multiply 360 by 483 years, which were prophesied, um, you you come up with 173,880 days. If you were with us in Daniel chapter 9, you'll remember this, and if you missed it, I'd encourage you uh, to listen to the message. But basically... This was a prophecy given way ahead of time, listen, 173,880 days, and, and, and amazingly accurate prophecy, and it was fulfilled to the T, exactly as the Lord had prophesied, one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible, that what happened was the clock started ticking on March 14th, 445 BC, that was the day that Artaxerxes issued the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And then on April 6th, 32 AD, Jesus made his triumphal entry, the the Messiah brought to to the nation of Israel. Um, He made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so what you have there is you have 69 weeks of years, 173,880 days, uh, exactly as God said it would happen. But that leaves one week unaccounted for because the prophecy was that there would be 70 weeks of years. And so we've just accounted for 69 weeks of years. What happened to that 70th week uh, of years? Well, that's what we're going to look at here in the latter part of Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12. This refers to that final week of the prophesied 70 years being, uh, being determined. After 69 weeks of years, 7 until the command that was given by Artaxerxes, uh, and 62 until the coming of Messiah, God said that the Messiah would be rejected and cut off. And of course, we know that's exactly what happened. As Jesus came into Jerusalem there in 32 AD, uh, he was rejected. And they took him to the cross, and they crucified him. And um, what God indicated in his prophecy to Daniel was that after the Messiah would be cut off, not for himself, but for you and me, he, he, for for, for the, the the joy that was set before him, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 tells us, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the joy that was set before Jesus was the reconciliation of you and I to, to God the Father. And, and so he was cut off, not for himself, and God had indicated to Daniel that what would happen is that the Romans would come in, and they would destroy the city, and that they would destroy the sanctuary after the Messiah was was rejected by his people. And of course, we know again from history, this is exactly what happened in 70 AD. So when the Jews rejected their Messiah, when they rejected Jesus Christ, this began a period of time that the Bible calls the times of the Gentiles. Now Jesus, uh, when he was here on this earth and he was talking to uh, the, the religious leaders, And and he was saying amazing things, and they were very oppositional to him. They did not receive him. And so they began to challenge him, and they began to question him. And in one particular exchange, it's in Matthew chapter 21 and chapter 22. What happens there in Matthew chapter 21 is that as these religious leaders... These leaders of of Israel, the people whom God had sent the Messiah to, as they're opposing Jesus, they start to demand from him, by whose authority have you come? By whose authority do you you say the things that, that you say? And, uh, and so what happened there then is Jesus began to tell him, he told him a series of three parables. And, and, and a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he told these guys these parables trying to explain to them just exactly what their situation was. Because they were rejecting the Messiah. And so the, the first parable was the parable of two sons. Uh, and, and perhaps you'll recall it where the, the, one son, you know, the father asks both the sons, hey, I want you to do some work. And the one son says, yeah, I'll do it. And then the other one says, uh, I'm not doing it. And then what happens is the one that said he'd do it, didn't do it. This is a paraphrase. And the one that, that, that said he wasn't going to do it, ultimately uh, he did do it. And, and Jesus asked the question, hey, which one of these guys did the father's will? And, and, well, the guy that actually did what he asked him to do. Well, then he told him another parable. And this was the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And basically what he said was, you got this, 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 this guy who owns a vineyard, and um, so he basically entrusts some guys to work the vineyard for him, uh, and then basically he, he starts sending the people to the, 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 the vineyard, the guys work in the vineyard, but, but they're, they don't want to yield to the vineyard owner. And so what they do is, one by one, they start killing the people that he sends to them. And ultimately, the the vineyard owner sends his son to them, and they say, "This is this is the heir. This is the this is the son." And they kill him, and uh, and 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 basically, uh, Jesus asked these religious leaders as he's telling the parable. He says, "So, what do you think that the the vineyard owner is going to do to these guys?" And they answered, and they basically said, "Well, they're going to he, he's going to come, and he's going to take the vineyard from them, and he's going to give it to someone else." And, and Jesus said, "Yep." And the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you, and it's going to be given to someone else. He told then a third parable, a parable of a wedding feast, and and the parable. And he told these these stories one right after another. He's trying to get them to get the big picture. And so the the final parable that he tells these Jews who are rejecting him, the Messiah, is about a, a father who th- throws a big wedding banquet, and all the invited guests they 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 basically um, they don't come, and and so what happens is he the he says, well, you know what? Fine, don't come. I'll invite other people to my party. And so he goes out and he sends you know, his, his people out. And he's like, go to the highways, go to the byways, go invite you know, all of the, the people that, that basically don't, in, don't deserve to be invited. Go invite them. And he fills up the wedding banquet with all of the people that he's gone out to get. Now, every single one of these parables is basically to communicate this idea. God has come to his chosen people, the Jews. They have rejected him. And and they've rejected their only hope. They preach a whole other message about what they're holding on to, but they're holding on to this notion of religion and the things that we do to earn a right standing with God and to to keep the law and all. And, And the Lord just up there in heaven, just slapping his head, hey, look, I gave you the law so you would realize your need for me. I gave you the law so you'd come to your senses and realize that you can't keep it, that you ain't perfect, that that you can't get there from here. And yet you still think that you can get there from here, and you still think that you can be righteous by the things that you do and the works that you do uh, and so on. And it's not about that. It's about my goodness. It's about my grace. It's about you coming to the end of yourself and saying, Lord, I, I, I I need a Savior. And the Lord's saying, great, I got one for you. They wouldn't get to that place. And so all of these parables, all of these things to point them to the idea that, listen, you need a Savior and you need to receive the Lord. And so it's this, it's this illustration for us that what happens is the Jews rejected their Messiah. And so what God was saying was, listen, you're going to reject the Messiah. You are my chosen people. and I have a plan for your redemption. And it's, and it's a 70 weeks of years plan to redeem you. But now what has happened in the age in which you and I live, we live in the times of the Gentiles. These are the days that we live in where the prophetic clock, these 70 weeks of years that God has has prescribed for the nation of Israel, his chosen people, well, God's hit the pause button with them. And now what happens is you and I, we live in this parenthesis of time. We live in this, this sort of space between the end of the 69th year and, and, and weeks of years and the beginning of the 70th week, weeks of years. And, and so the, the nation of Israel, they've rejected the Messiah and all. And so here we are. Now, the, 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 again, the time in which we live, it's called the time of the Gentiles. And this is that period of time where we have a window of opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And listen, let me just tell you where I'm going with this. That the, I, I'm just going to, going to be coming back around. I'm going to get to the place where, where I'm basically going to be challenging you. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? And have you trusted him as your only hope? Or are you still holding on to the slimmest idea that somehow you can earn a right standing with God? And that is a huge trap, because you will get to the place where, man, the enemy works both sides of the fence, man, Satan's working in your life, and it's like he tempts you to sin, and then you sin, and then he jumps over the fence and says, oh, now look at you, you're such a loser, and you can't go to God, and you believe him, and you're like, you're right, I am a loser, and I can't go to God, and God just wants you to get to the end of all that, get over yourself, and get to the place where you could recognize, look, you ain't got nothing to offer, you're no prize to be won. God loves you. He wants to know you, and he sent his son to die so that you can know him, and so that you can be cleansed and made right. That's where we're going today. And so we live in that parenthesis of time, and this is the period of time where we, by God's grace, have this window of opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. A preached message at one time in the section of Scripture. I titled it, I was way off, you know. <laughs> I was way off. You were. That's what he's saying here. You who were once far off, man, you've been brought near the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Speaking of this generation, Peter says this. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now listen, normally, right, that's what, that's what the Lord says over and over again to the, to the Jews, He says this over and over again to his chosen people, and they are his chosen people. But now what's happening here in this parenthesis of time, here during the time of the Gentiles, God says that to you and to me. He says, listen, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Again, we're going to circle around to this and get to get back to this. But what I want you to see here in Daniel chapter 11 is that the, the focus is on the nation of Israel. That's important today. The focus is on the nation of Israel. And, and God is laying out his plan for the 70th week, which is all about them and all about what God's going to do with them. And, uh, and and so that's that's the idea. So last week, what happened is we saw the chronology of prophesied events, how all of history uh, is leading up to the resumption of God's timeline for Israel in their seventieth week, um, and uh, and so these these are the events that were necessary to set the world stage for the coming of Antichrist. And so we looked at that exhaustively last week, and we left off in verse twenty one, looking at a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes now antiochus epiphanes real character uh, he, he ascended to power in one hundred seventy five BC, and he chose the name Epiphanes for himself and it 's very telling because that that name you, you, you could d- define it this way you could you could say that it means that that you, it means God manifest basically he, called, he he exalted himself to the place where where he was God this was the the thought this was the uh, the idea. Now, um, and I'm going to get at the text. You're like, are you going to get there? We're just going to talk about it. I'm going to get getting there. drive my wife crazy when I do this. Well, um, let me just say this, um, as, because we're still, I'm not going to be able to jump into, into what's yet prophecy yet. We remember last week we started to go through Daniel chapter 11, and it reads as history. It was prophecy when God gave it, but it's history now to us because we're looking in the rearview mirror. And, uh, and I mean, for time's sake, I wanted to get through all of the history last week, the prophecy that was given that had already been fulfilled, so that this week we could jump right into the prophecy. But as it was, I taught over an hour last week, and that wouldn't have been good for me to continue on. Uh, I could have handled it. You couldn't, so we saved it for today. Um, so I'm still going to look at a little more history. You're going to look at this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, and, and what I want to tell you about him is this. Um, when I go to the movies... D- does anybody here like the trailers that they show before the movies? Any of y'all? Yeah, a lot of you. See, my wife hates that. She can't stand it. She's, you know, movie starts at 7. She's like, we get, to get there at 7.30. They're going to show all those stupid trailers. I'm like, that's like the best thing for me. I want to watch all the stupid trailers. I like the, the stupid trailers. So the thing is, is that, it, that Antiochus Epiphanes, he's a trailer. That's what he is. He is is the guy that is showing us what the coming attraction is, okay, if you want to call it that, because it's no attraction, but but he's the picture of Antichrist, that's who he is. So what we're going to see is we're going to look at Antiochus Epiphanes, he's a picture of the Antichrist who is to come, and then we're going to transition from the picture, the, the trailer, to see the actual feature. All right, you guys ready? Let's pick it back up, verse 21, chapter 11, let me get over there. Uh, and in his place, whose place? This is in the place of Seleucius III, who was the guy that came in who started raising taxes to pay the Roman tribute. Uh, nobody likes a guy that pays taxes. And so they killed him. They poisoned him. And so in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom uh, by uh, intrigue. Now, uh, what we have here is is we've got this guy, um, Antiochus Epiphanes. And it says he's a vile person. In other words, he's rotten to the core, just as Antichrist will be rotten to the core. And and it says there that he obtains the kingdom through cunning and deceit. Exactly what Antichrist will do. Warming his way in by cunning and deceit. And that's exactly, historically speaking, what Antiochus Epiphanes did. Again, when, when these verses... When this prophecy given, he hadn't come on the scene yet, but now we look in the rearview mirror of, of, of history uh in hindsight and we go, Oh, that's the guy. And so here's what Antiochus Epiphanes did, just thinking about, you know, a guy who obtains the kingdom through cunning and through deceit. First of all, uh he murdered his older brother, Antiochus IV, and then he imprisoned his brother's son so that he could gain the throne. Nice guy, right? It would make for some, some, some interesting family, uh, get togethers. Um, you know, he's murderous and all, and that's what he did. Now, uh, in addition to that, he flattered, uh, Eumenes, who was the, the king of Pergamos, and, and Italus, his brother, in order to get their assistance. Um, and, and then basically betrayed them later on. And then he flattered the Romans and he sent ambassadors to court their favor. And remember, now they were owed some back taxes because they defeated uh, this kingdom. And their, real, their their way of operating back then was when they conquered you, they gave you the check for what it cost them to conquer you in battle. Um, <laughs> It has some merit, I think. Um, and so basically, they sent him the check. And so he started paying them those back taxes, wanted to get in the good graces of Rome. Uh, and he flattered the Syrians, and he gained their concurrence. Again, just like the Antichrist. He's cunning, and he and he's, and he's works by deceitful means. And so this is, this is the, the, the thing that we see about who this guy is. Now, verse 22, it says, With the, the force of a flood, They shall be swept away from before him and be broken. And also, in other words, he just he 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 was able empowered just to sweep right through, do away with with his enemies in that way. And also, the prince of the covenant. And verse twenty three: After the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up uh, and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably. even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers, he shall disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, and the riches, in other words, as he as he conquers nations and he gets enriched, what he does is he starts sharing the wealth with all of his people and he does it purely to manipulate them. No better way to manipulate somebody than to buy them off. And this is what he's doing. He's buying them off just to win curry favor from these guys. And so he 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 does that, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. Verse 25, he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans uh, against him. Yes, those who eat of the, the portion of his delicacies shall uh, destroy him, his army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both uh, these king's hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall uh, speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the time will still be, uh, for the end will still be at the, um, at the appointed uh, time." And so what happens is this angel, in giving the prophecy to Daniel, he tells him that the new king of the north, this vile person that he talked about in, in verse 21, you uh, know, Antiochus Epiphanes, he will attempt d- a deceitful covenant with the king of the south. And this is, has Antichrist written all over it. He brokers deals and then he breaks them. And this is what these guys do all the time. Uh, and, um, you know, John says in, in, uh, in his epistle, I think uh, 1 John, basically talks about how the spirit of antichrist has gone into the world and as we look at antiochus Epiphanes and then later get into antichrist himself we start seeing a lot of familiar things you're like oh i saw that in a politician that i know who did that thing yeah the spirit of antichrist is already at work in the world um and so um he, you know they you see guys today they'll sit down they'll broker a covenant and then they don't honor the covenant you know, they just do that to sort of get their foot in the door and get an agreement with you. And, uh, and then, you know, people are like this today in the business world. You get an agreement, and then they break it looking for a better deal. And so this is, nothing's new under the sun. So basically, this angel gives him this prophecy. He tells him, hey, here's what this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, is going to do. doesn't call him by name, but that's who he's talking about. And then he says, this will fail. All of his brokering and working and manipulating, this will fail. And there'll be a great battle that will not change the balance Of power. Um, Now this was fulfilled historically when uh, he carried on the feud between the the dynasties, um, but he pretended friendship and alliance to catch them off guard, which is exactly the tact that Antichrist will employ. And so despite these massive efforts, you know, his efforts didn't stand, his army was swept away, and this defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes is important because what happens is Egypt beat him with the help of Rome. What happened was he went into battle and he was fighting against Egypt and all of a sudden Rome decided to step in and flex their muscles. And, uh, and so they, they told him, you better go home. It's kind of like a bully in a yard, you know, in a schoolyard where, you know, he's picking on a guy and then some bigger guy who can whoop his butt comes up and says, you're done, go home. And, uh, and so this is what they did. And, and hi- history tells us what actually happened was the, this, this general... Steps in, he, he's the, the naval commander who stepped in to stop his advance. And he basically stepped in and he told Antiochus Epiphanes, go home uh, and, uh, and take all your toys and go home. You're done here. Stop fighting against these guys. And, and Antiochus Epiphanes' response to him was, well, let me think about it. So this general took his sword and he drew a circle around him in the, sta- in the sand where he stood. And he says, you make your decision before you step out of that circle. And Antiochus Epiphanes says, okay. You know, come to think of it, I think I do want to go home, you know, and so this is what happened. Um, and uh, so what happened was now he became subject, and, and, and I guess I would say it this way, a subject of Rome. Which, is, again, is a picture of Antichrist who is going to be a subject of Rome, the revived Roman Empire. Verse 28, we're continuing looking at, at historically what happened. While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him, and therefore he shall be grieved and return enraged against the... The Holy Covenant and do damage, and so he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Again, here's what happened. He got beat. He's mad. He's really mad at these guys who stepped in and said, You can't do anything, but he can't do anything to them. So what's he do? He picks on the poor defenseless guy that can't do anything about it. And who is that? It's the nation of Israel. And so we continue in verse twenty-one. It says, And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and then they shall take away the daily sacrifices, talking about the temple worship of God, Jehovah God, um, take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Uh, Those who do wickedly against the covenant he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. Now, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall uh, to refine them, purify them, and make them white uh, until the time of the end, um, because it is still for uh, the uh, the appointed time. Um, interesting thing here, historically, what happens is, uh, you know, when um, he, he starts Coming against the Jews and he starts interrupting their sacrifices and all. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, they revolted against him ultimately. I'm cutting to the chase to the end, uh, and they were actually able to take back the temple and to cleanse it. Um, and this is where uh, the where Hanukkah comes from because when they took the the temple back, um, they wanted the, the the candle is the menorah is supposed to burn. Uh, it's supposed to burn the there in the the. T- Tabernacle of the Lord constantly. And so they, having cleansed the temple, the temple, they only had enough uh, oil that had been, that had been, you know, was kosher, that had been, you know, sacramentally taken care of by the the priest and all the way it was prescribed in, in God's word. And so they only had enough to last one day. But, it, but it, it miraculously lasted for eight days until they could ceremoniously prepare uh, the oil to keep the lamp running. And so that's why we have the menorah today and the, the Hanukkah um, uh, celebration. But um, basically what happens here as we're reading this is that... Um, all of this was was fulfilled when Antiochus Epiphanes returned from Egypt. He's bitter from defeat. He advanced his anger against Jerusalem. And what he does there is he sets up uh, Zeus in the temple altar. Uh, and, and he demanded sacrifice to this image that he had set up. And then he later desecrated the temple um, by sacrificing a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. Which, you know... Yeah, so he's, he this is what he does. Now the Bible calls this the abomination of desolation. We re, we read that in verse thirty one, um, but it's not the abomination that causes desolation. If you if you we don't have time to turn there, but if you remember, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter twenty four. He spoke of an abomination of desolation that was yet in the future. Now, when Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation, now, he said that chronologically. This prophecy had been given, and then now, over time, was fulfilled. And so by the time that Jesus Christ comes on the scene, this prophecy is now history in his rearview mirror. And yet Jesus talked about it as being something that is yet in the future. And the significance of that is just to underline, underscore the fact that Antiochus Epiphanes serves as the trailer for the coming event. And Jesus speaking, when he talks about the the abomination that causes desolation, he's not talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. That's already happened. He's saying that's a type of... The real thing's yet to come. He's talking about when Antichrist will do this. See, because Antiochus Epiphanes, he set up the image of Zeus uh, in, in, the, uh, in the, the Holy of Holies. Antichrist is going to set up an image of himself in the Holy of Holies. That's yet to come. So, um, verse 36 is key here. Because what happens is verse 36 denotes a change. Up until verse 35, what you have was all prophecy at the time that Daniel received it, but all of that has yet has now been fulfilled. As you and I sit here and we read this, up to verse 35, all of those have been fulfilled. So we read that as history. Verse 36 and following is future. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. And we we just know that by looking at history. And so what happens now is in the midst of this, he switches, still talking. You know, it's all prophecy when he gives it. But now, for us, as we read it, we need to look at it. It's no longer historical. This is out in the future. This is Antichrist yet to come. Verse 36 Then the king shall do uh, according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor uh, the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above uh, them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, and a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant Things, verse 39, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. This is as far as we're going to get in the text today. Let me expand on this. What you see here is a picture of Antichrist. And we know that it's a picture of Antichrist for several reasons. First of all, the descriptions that are given in the verses that I just read, if you, if you take those and you cross-reference them with First and Second Thessalonians and the book of Revelation, what happens is you see that these ver- verses really distinctly match the descriptions of Antichrist given in those sections uh, of Scripture. For example, in verse 36, when it says that he shall exalt and magnify himself above every God. Well, this matches Paul's description of Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 perfectly. Let me put it on the screen for you. Here's what Paul said, speaking of Antichrist. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what's, what's, what's this talking about is the fact that Antichrist will be possessed by the devil himself. You know, you, you, you talk about having a bad day or somebody who, who's acting, you know, in an evil way. Think about being possessed by the devil himself. Now, we read this in, in Isaiah chapter 14. Here's how the devil ticks. Here's how, what his mindset is. It's, it, it, here's the observation. How you are fallen from heaven. This is, this is God describing um, Satan when he got kicked out of heaven for, for his rebellion. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. You are uh, cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, this is, this, is, this is what's in the heart of Satan. This is what is in his mind. This is how he ticks. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on, the, on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. In other words, I want to be God. Again, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in the earth today, isn't it? Because you've met people that want to be God. It's like, you know, their whole life is, look, just let me be God and everything will be fine. And anything that infringes upon them being God, then, you know, now there's war. Now there's, there's conflict. And so this is, this is what we see here, is that this guy, in verse 36, he, he's going to magnify himself above every god. Now another characteristic we read here in verse 36 is that he will speak blasphemies against the god of gods. Again, another description of Antichrist from the book of Revelation, this time Revelation 13 verses 5 and 6 says this, And he, Antichrist, was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So this is a description of Antichrist. Again, spirit of Antichrist alive and well in this world. Read any news article and go to the comments section if they, if they have them. And you watch in how, how many comments until the, the conversation turns to blaspheming God. You take it to the bank. Almost any subject will turn political and it'll turn religious. Within, I mean, they could be talking about, you know, I don't know what, some star and she does whatever. And within a few comments, it's, it turns political and then it turns religious and then it turns antichrist and blaspheming God. I mean, just what you read it over and over again. It's not healthy for me. I read this, I'm yelling at my computer and all. And Anyway, um, we see also in verse 36, another description of who Antichrist is going to be just to, to be able to go, oh, I recognize that guy. It says that he'll prosper only so long as it fits God's purposes. It says, and he shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. So, you know, you can look at this one of two ways. One, you ain't taking him down until the, the, the time is right. I mean, God, he's there. He's God's agent to do what God wants done uh, in a sense that, you know, it, God's allowing all, all the events to work together to accomplish his ultimate purposes. Um, you look at it that way. The other way you can look at it is that, look, even Antichrist is going to have his day. Uh, and <laughs> he's, he fits into God's plan. We, we continue as we read through it in verse 37. Another characteristic we see is that he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. This is a really curious statement there that, that is made. He'll regard neither the God of his father nor the desire of women. Now what you have there is you have two Hebrew idioms that are used. I'll explain it this way. Um, The first phrase, the God of his fathers, this was a common phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament to speak of uh, in reference to uh, those that worship uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a Hebrew idiom. And so the significance there is saying, look, he is not going to worship Jehovah God. He is not going to worship God Almighty. That, that is not who he's going to be. So he will regard neither the God of his fathers. Now, here's, here's the second Hebrew idiom, nor the desire of women. Now some think that what this means is that Antichrist will be homosexual. Now he may or may not, but that's that's in my opinion, and the opinions of many commentators, that's not what this phrase means. See, because if if you if you look in, in Haggai chapter two, It tells us there that the Messiah is called the desire of nations. And culturally, what happened, it was the desire of every Jewish girl to be privileged to bear the Messiah. This is why so many girls would would name their children Yeshua. The, the meaning of Yeshua is that um, God, uh, Yahweh is salvation. That's what the name means. And so what would happen is they would name their children this in the hope that God would use him for the salvation of Israel. And so the desire of women was they wanted to bear the, the, the Messiah, the child of God, that was prophesied to come. That was their hope. And so what he's saying about Antichrist is, is look... First of all, he's, he is not going to, to, to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Secondly, um, he, he's, he's, he's not going to regard the desire of women. He's not hoping for the Messiah to come. Um, Antichrist will have no regard for the Lord whatsoever. Why? Well, if you look at the, the last part of, of verse 37, it tells us why. You know, he's not going to regard uh, the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nor the desire of women, to, you know, not going to regard the Messiah Uh, nor regard any God. Here's why. For he shall exalt himself above them all. He wants to be God. That's why he's not going to regard God. He is Antichrist. He's all me and not God. Again, spirit of Antichrist alive and well uh, in, in the world. Now, verse 38. But in their place... We read, he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones uh, and pleasant things. Um, Thus he shall act against the the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance in its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land uh, for gain. What's he going to honor? Listen, Antichrist is going to honor military might. That's what this means. And with the cost of, of modern warfare, I mean, think about this. The F-35 stealth fighter, which is like the fifth generation stealth fighter, each plane costs over $200 million. You, you know the B-2 bomber, which is, which is now, you know, very old? Each one, almost a billion dollars. One plane. So it's, it's no wonder that he's going to rule with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things because it takes a lot of money to run an army. And, and it's interesting. because you think about this, I went to a conference some time ago. It was in Costa Mesa, and there was a, an economist there. His name was Jim Rickards. And, and I follow him, and, and he's, he's brilliant. And, and you listen to him, and then you've got to play it back over and over again and kind of just mull over what he says because he just throws away these, these things that he says off, off the cuff and, and they're brilliant, you think about it. So I was listening to him and he was talking just about the, 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 the plight of America because of how much money we're spending and just the math of what kind of trouble we're in. And he said, you know, a lot of times you, you take it to its logical conclusion and, and the logical conclusion is you look at it and you think, well, there's some sort of a realignment some down, somewhere down, down the line, you know, and it's, it's bankruptcy basically. And so what happens when all our creditors comes knocking? And he says, well, a lot of people, they basically say, we're the most powerful nation in the world. And we, got, we got all these forces. We got the, the most powerful military in the world. And he says, yeah, and do you know how much money it takes to keep your military going? He basically said, you think you've you know, you got the strong military. When you're out of money, you're out of military, it just it stops working because you don't have the money to make it work. I mean, a, a, an aircraft carrier is over a million dollars a day just to operate the thing, you know. And so he just made this case financially for when you when you are broke, you lose all your power. You know, it's the golden rule: he who has the gold makes the rules. And and so that's that's the deal. And so this is exactly what Antichrist is going to do. Um, he he divides the land for gain. He rules with gold, silver, precious stones, and pleasant things, buys everybody off, and he's the one that brings peace to the Middle East. And so what happens is, because he's gonna be able to accomplish this, the world falls at his feet and says, you know, what, what do you wanna be called? We'll call you that. What, do you, what, kind, what can we give you? Because, because you're the magic man. You're doing all this stuff. You're large and in charge. And, and so this is exactly what's going to happen. Now, not everyone is for him. And we're going to look at that starting in verse 40 uh, next week. And, and we're, we're probably going to finish the, the, the book next week. Um, but what are the takeaways for today? Because, you know, again, here we are. Like last week, I just gave you a bunch of information. I just fed you with a fire hose. And, and if you're like me, you're sitting there and you're saying, <clears throat> great, what's this got to do with me? I mean, that, that's cool and all. Now what? I'm glad you asked. I told you in the beginning of Daniel chapter 11 that it's focused on the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel. And, and so the things that we read here, when we talk about Antichrist and everything, the fact of the matter is, is that it relates to the time of the Great Tribulation. It relates to the time when Antichrist will come on the scene. And we need to understand that the 70th week hasn't started yet, and it's not for us. And it's important that you understand why. Why is it that the 70th week is on pause? Why is it that we're in this parenthesis of time? And why is it that we read about all these events and we say, well, God went to a lot of trouble to write all this out, but if I'm not going to be around here and if I'm not going to be able to recognize Antichrist because he's not going to come on the scene as long as as we're around, what's up with that? Turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 you're making your way over there, if you're wondering where 2 Thessalonians is, it's just right after 1 Thessalonians. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's talking, verse 1, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him... Um, We ask you not to be soon taken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. In other words, Paul's writing to these guys because the word had gotten out and they thought, "Well, wait a minute, Jesus came and we missed it. And see, what happens there in that first couple of verses, what's described is an event that has two parts to it. He talks about uh, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 1, and then he talks about the day of Christ in verse 2. And what you need to understand is that these are two distinctly separate events. He, he, what he's talking about is when, when Jesus comes for his church versus when Jesus comes to to take dominion of the earth, two completely different things. And what had happened was the Thessalonians had gotten confused on this and somebody had given them bad information and they basically said, hey, guess what? You missed it. Jesus came, everybody out of the pool and you you got left behind, man. And they were freaking out about it. And so Paul's saying, look, don't freak about it. And in verse three, he says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day is that? The coming of Jesus Christ to judge sin and to judge the nations. This is, this is that day that, that comes uh, you know, after the Antichrist comes on the scene. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, that, that phrase falling away, it's, it's very interesting. In that here's what it means. It means literally departure or separation. And what it means, what it's referring to? It's referring to the rapture. That's what it's referring to. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, by the way, just, just important here. Some people say prophecy is not important. Paul was with the Thessalonians for like a week. That's all he was with them. And he took the time to teach them prophecy. So if he took the time to teach them prophecy, having only been with them for a short period of time, it's critically important. We're going we're to get to that point here in just a half a second. So verse 6, he says, And now you know what is restraining, just underline what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains, you can underline that, maybe circle he, um, will do so until he, you can circle that, is taken out of the way. Who's the he? Well, in your Bible, is it capitalized? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And what happened was, if I can take you back to the book of Acts, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, John baptized with water, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We as children of God, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And what 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 Paul is saying here is that, look, the Holy Spirit abiding in you, you as the church, you are ambassadors of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is the restraining force through Christians in the world keeping Antichrist at bay. And what's going to happen is an event where the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. What is that? It's the rapture. It's the rapture. And listen to what... what uh, we're staying second Thessalonians but listen to what Paul said in first Thessalonians he says for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the latin vulgate that we get the word raptus from that that's where we get the word rapture We shall be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Listen, here's the deal. We're not going to be here for Antichrist. We're not going to see him. We're not going to be able to say, oh, I recognize all the characteristics. Pastor Ted was talking about that. Yeah, I saw that. That's who he is. Why? Because you're going to be taken out of the way. Jesus is going to show up. He's going to say everybody out of the pool and he's going to rapture the church. He's going to remove the the, the restraining force so that Antichrist can come on the scene. And, and this is, is what's going on. This is what, what is being revealed to us here. That this is, this is that work that God is doing. And then we continue. He says in verse 8, and then the law the lawless one will be revealed then when, when the Holy Spirit's taken away, when the church is raptured, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because, listen, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved listen church i want to end on that note and i end this way we read these prophecies what do we do with all this stuff we read the prophecies we understand that god is who he says he is he's the only one that calls balls and strikes before all the baseball players show up at the the stadium he says, this is how it's going to go, and this, this, this guy's going to do this, and this guy's going to do that, and this guy's going to do that, and this is going to happen according to this time frame, and we see that which has been fulfilled, and we go, holy smokes, he's, he's batting a thousand. And then we come to these sections of scripture where we read, and we go, well, that hasn't happened yet. Well, what can I conclude if all this, the other stuff has been fulfilled to the T? It's only a matter of time before this stuff gets fulfilled. And the significance of that is that a day is coming and the Jews, because they rejected their Messiah, they will have to go through that day. They will go through that great tribulation because the only thing that can save you from the tribulation is God calling you out and rapturing the church. The only ones that get called out and get raptured are those that have received the Messiah and surrendered to the Messiah. And so you have before you today a choice. You have a choice of saying, have I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ so that when these other prophecies are fulfilled and you take it to the bank, they will be, that I will be hidden in Christ and that I, that I won't that I'll miss it all. And I won't be around. Or will you reject the Messiah as the Jews did, in which case these prophecies are for you. These prophecies are, hey, this is what's in your future. See, listen, the choice is ours. The second thing for us today, if you're a believer and you're here, comfort one another with these words. That's the word to you. Be comforted. Listen, we see the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world, and we see things getting bad. We can be comforted knowing, hey, at any moment, the Lord's going to show up. Nothing needs to happen. No prophecy needs to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ could come back before we finish the service today. What if he does? Are you ready?